Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Bank of Canada governor reacts to Pierre Poilievre's promise to fire him. I'm going to leave politics to the politicians. Uh, we have a job to do for Canadians, and we are not going to sleep easy until Canadians can stop worrying about inflation, and that is my primary focus. What I will say is that I take my role very seriously as the leader of a public institution of more than a thousand professionals that's working very hard to deliver for Canadians. Questions about the membership numbers being reported by candidates for the Conservative leadership. It's not accurate that he signed up the most members. He claims to have signed up the most members. But based on my calculations, with the members that he claims to have signed up and what Patrick Brown claims to have signed up, and I know what I've signed up, and Roman also signed up uh, members, and so did uh, Scott, and it, it, we would really have to have around 900,000 for those numbers to be valid. And the Summit of the Americas draws to a close. I'm really glad to have been uh, given the opportunity to sit down with a number of uh, strong, like-minded leaders from the hemisphere uh, to talk directly and frankly about the challenges we're facing, but also our hopes uh, for this summit. It's Friday, June 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So Tiff Macklem, the governor of the Bank of Canada, is saying that we could see the typical mortgage payment for Canadian homeowners increasing by something like 30% over the next five years. Uh, and he's also saying this is the debt load associated with with higher house prices and higher interest rates is a major vulnerability to Canada's economy. I know a lot of people have been concerned about this, the, the prospect of rising interest rates and the fact that a lot of people are heavily leveraged on their homes to begin with because homes have become so expensive. Um, so what do you think this means? And, and is, there, is there a looming, potentially a looming crisis around this? I would say there's a, a big looming problem. You know, during the pandemic, Canadians became really attached to the idea of homes. Uh, and as you said, the prices went up. Uh, the, the fevered markets of the last few years have made a lot of people vulnerable. There were sensible people warning, you know, this, this party's going to be over at some point too. And I think the, the words from the Bank of Canada governor yesterday sort of bear that out. It's, uh, it's what everybody feared was coming, but it is coming. So, yeah, I, I feel badly for all of those people that have been, you know, pouring way more than they can afford into a home uh, simply because the market has been so crazy. And this, uh, it's, if it's not a crisis, it's at least a reckoning. Yeah. And I think there are, there are a lot of people wondering if there's if there is some kind of economic disruption around the corner, right? There, uh, there, there's been a lot of talk of that recently. Is there a recession coming? Is there, is there risk in the in the Canadian economy? And and uh, I know it's hard to predict these things, and that's not your job. But uh, there, there, affordability is probably the number one political issue in the country right now. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I. Um I would commend people, if I may give a little plug for my colleagues, um, Heather Schofield, our economics columnist, has written for today about this, about the uh, about a soft landing and how that happens. And she lays out 
very carefully just what a what a tightrope walk this is. So I guess based on the people Heather's been talking to, and Heather talks to a lot of smart people, and is one herself, they're saying still a recession can be avoided, but it is going to be such a delicate balancing act to do it. And and part of it does depend on, on taking some tough medicine, including yeah. those, those uh, higher mortgage prices. Now, Tiff Macklem was also in the news yesterday because, of course, inevitably he was asked about the comments made by Pierre Poilievre during the Conservative leadership race that he would fire the Bank of Canada governor. And Macklem's response is, we'll leave the politics to the politicians. Uh, Canadians should be asking us tough questions. We welcome diverse views, criticism, etc., uh, not surprising to hear him say that, but it is an interesting time when he's he's forced to answer questions about that kind of subject. Yeah, I don't think we've again we should, we've never seen anything like this before. You know, yeah. the, um, somebody calling for the head of the Bank of Canada governor, and I thought Tiff Macklin Macklin answered it as as one should is this is politics. I, I think it should be stated that. Pierre Polyev just can't go fire the Bank of Canada governor. He could make his life difficult, but uh, but a lot of what's what's being said here is uh, is sheer politics, as Macklin said. But I, I I'm sure I was watching his face when he was he was responding to this, and he was definitely trying to keep a a, a straight face. But it's got to be unnerving to see a conservative leadership candidate repeatedly tweeting that you should be fired not maybe because he values his job but the institution and he did speak to that as well but uh it's not just him over there at the bank of canada it's a thousand other people who are navigating this as best they can yeah all right let's continue to talk about the conservative leadership race and and there are people of course who are anxiously awaiting verified numbers from the party on how many members have been signed up who will be eligible to vote in the leadership. Um, and there, there are obviously a lot of numbers that have been shared by the campaigns themselves. And some people are questioning the veracity of those numbers, whether it's possible that that many memberships have been sold by individual campaigns. What, what do you make of all of that at this point? Well, it's a lot of memberships. That's for sure. And we've discussed this. That's a good thing yeah. that, uh, that people are paying that. Actually, I, I heard the number yesterday. I realized um, when, you, when you added up, uh, 600,000 people paying $15 each adds up to $9 million. Hmm. So that's uh, it's not a small amount. Um, so I take it what has to happen now, and it's going to take a while, the party has to verify all these memberships. And according to uh, my colleague, again, Stephanie Levitt was, was looking into this. They're already saying that they've encountered some um, people who bought double memberships. They were already members and bought another one. So that would tear some of the numbers down. They also, uh, they have to check that everybody paid themselves. You can't just... Nobody can run through a credit card and, and buy 100 memberships. That's right. not done. It's not allowed. So they've got to check that each one was paid for by the person buying it and not uh, by other means. So that's going to take a while. And in the meantime, you're going to get people like Leslie Lewis or others who are not releasing their own numbers 
accusing the other camps of inflating their numbers. So uh, this this seems to be like a cauldron for more <clears throat> allegations to be made about the process, but it's going to be slow going. You know, this is a, a political party. It's not a multinational corporation that can just whip through this in a week. It's going to take time to go through all these memberships. Yeah, Democracy, as they say, is messy. Yeah, and there's a long way to go until uh, the votes are cast and the and the winner is chosen. Uh, and there are currently not any official leadership debates scheduled during that time. We've already had the the official debates, which is interesting. Um, there are some of the candidates. In fact, all of the candidates who are not perceived to be the front runner in this race, meaning everybody except your. Pierre Poiliev is saying that they're open to more debates. Of course, they would be uh, because they're, they're they might be running from behind. Uh, do you think there will be an, uh, more debates in this race, given how much time there is still until uh, the the votes are cast? Well, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago because when the the leadership debate ended, uh, the last French debate, I found myself thinking that can't be it until September. The debates have actually been very good and very instructive. And we've learned a lot. And this isn't just a race among, right now it is a race among just conservative members. But I think Canadians would be well served by watching it too. And I think the party should have more debates. They, they haven't ruled it out. But with Pierre Polyev's apparently in such a commanding lead, already kind of setting the agenda for what's discussed in this race, uh, if he doesn't want to, it's going to be difficult. But I would, I think, still, I'd, I'd go back to the example of the 2015 election, which I thought was fantastic for the number of debates. I think we had six uh, debates in, in that election. It was extra long. But it was, it, it's really good to see candidates out there talking about things. And yeah. I, I think we've all learned from them. So I really, I really think there should be more. And... I I don't know that Pierre Polyev can be shamed into having them. Um, it, it seems pretty hard to shame him, actually. But um, I think it, it would probably be a good idea for Pierre Polyev to say yes to, to them and and for the candidates to get out there and chat some more. All right, Susan, I, I want to get your thoughts on the Summit of the Americas that's been going on in Los Angeles. And uh, what are your thoughts? There are a couple of developments. It looks like Joe Biden's going to come to Canada for a visit. Uh, there was a dinner last night. There were other meetings. Um, what are your expectations uh, from from the outcome, the potential outcome of this summit? What do you think? You know, I, I never have really high expectations for the communique at the end of these things. You know, the more people you get into a room, the more watered down statements get. But I think it, it the most fascinating part of yesterday, I guess we didn't get a chance to see Joe Biden and uh, Justin Trudeau have dinner. That probably was really interesting. But I thought uh, the, uh, the Prime Minister with the Governor of California, it was a long, long press conference, and the two were chatting back and forth, and there was some... Uh, I'm trying to remember how he said it. Gavin Newsom, the governor, said that that Canada is the California of the G7 nations, in, in, implying that that California and Canada have a lot of similar goals and have been working together a lot, especially on environmental matters. Justin Trudeau is clearly having a good time because this 
this guy, he could have been doing a campaign ad for Justin Trudeau, the governor. He was calling him a leader in the world on the environment. He held up Justin Trudeau as an example on guns and fighting gun violence and said, you know, basically the world needs more Canada. So that was a, it was, it was an interesting encounter. And clearly, Justin Trudeau is down there in L.A. having a good time. He did a podcast yesterday, too, uh, two days ago, pardon me. Um, as soon as he arrived in L.A., he sat down in the morning with a, a podcast uh, called Pod Saves the World, and or Pod Saves the World, not Saves. Yeah. And he, uh, he spoke a lot there, too, about democracy and the... He didn't get into details about how he felt about the January 6th insurrection, which is big in the news in the States right now. But it it was a half hour long conversation about uh, where Justin Trudeau sort of sees the United States and where he sees Canada fitting in with the United States right now as it's going along. And again, these podcast hosts were praising his leadership on guns, on the environment. So I can see why this, for the Prime Minister, it's a working holiday. It was a chance he even mentioned in his um, in his scrum with the governor of California how no man is a hero in his own country. So it was kind of nice to go down to California and sort of right. bask in the sunshine of, of that. But so I think altogether, I, yes, it's a summit of the Americas, but... It's a chance. We haven't seen Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden get to explore this friendship that they allegedly have very much. And so this is a chance to see, is that relationship still working for us? Are we getting anything out of it? That's what I'm going to be watching for when it all wraps up, is not so much Canada in the Americas, but the America, uh, whether whether things are a little better when uh, when he leaves. Yeah. All right, great stuff, Susan. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. We have these working groups where airports, airlines, and others are working together. We uh, in government are assessing and reassessing. We're taking advice from our stakeholders. Now, here's what political commentators and columnists are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues it's time for the government to reopen the skies. Martin writes, This pandemic has given the federal government two years of bureaucratizing Canadians to unacceptable excess, and the flying public has taken the hardest hit. We were told all these pandemic measures were for our own good. Those who challenged the rules were written off as privileged whiners. Well, it's time for the whiners to win and the government to reopen the skies. A return to those glory times of flying when the biggest complaints were expensive parking, a middle seat, and stale pretzels. In the Washington Post, David Moskrop argues, Justin Trudeau's sweeping gun control bill is no knee-jerk reaction. Moskrop writes, Gun crime in Canada is up, and so is gun ownership. Yet the Liberal government's new proposed legislation is not a knee-jerk reaction to U.S. shootings, nor did it emerge from the ether. In 2020, Justin Trudeau banned assault-style weapons after the deadliest mass shooting in the country's history took place in Nova Scotia. The government tried to pass stricter gun control legislation in the last parliament, but the bill died on the order paper when the country went into an election, where the Liberals campaigned on the issue. They have been slow to get the job done, 
but they haven't hidden their intentions. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues if you think our economic recovery will be tough, you might be part of the problem. Schofield writes, Everybody is an economic forecaster these days, and that's making a soft landing for the Canadian economy harder and harder. Policymakers need to deliberately engineer it, and their job is complicated by the fact that inflation affects us as individuals. If history is a guide, we all have strong views on where it's heading. Often, those views are distorted, and that's a nightmare for policymakers trying to bring inflation down. If everything goes right and luck is on our side, a soft landing still seems possible, but our own misperceptions may well undermine our hopes. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the final day of the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in private meetings. International Trade Minister Mary Ng and Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau are attending the 2022 Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Ministerial Council meeting in Paris. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair will speak at a media availability following the fourth meeting of the Committee of British Columbia and Federal Ministers on Disaster Response and Climate Resilience. In Ottawa, Mental Health Minister Carolyn Bennett will announce proposed measures to strengthen regulations for tobacco products. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino will take part in a news conference to announce support for the United Jewish Appeal of Greater Toronto. Minister of Northern Affairs Daniel Vandal will be in Winnipeg to announce investments in travel, tourism, and recreation initiatives across Manitoba. Minister of Sport Pascal Saint-Ange and Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez will be in Montreal to announce funding for the recovery of the tourism industry in Quebec. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will be in the ridings of Abitibi Tamiskaming and Abitibi Bay James Nunavik EU. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, June 10th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend. <laughs>